Welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons, to trace its creative evolution and pinpoint the exact moment in which the show began to, for lack of a better word, suck. I'm your host, Eric Zantuan, and I suppose, much as it was for The Simpsons back in the winter of 1990, this is the official first episode of this podcast as a regular weekly series. This first week, I am joined by my good friend and fellow film buff, Mike Drew Flynn. We regularly get together to shoot the shit and talk about movies and pop culture, but today, we'll be talking about The Simpsons. Specifically, the first official episode of The Simpsons, Bart the Genius, which originally aired on January 14, 1990. That was 30 years ago. Does it still hold up? Is it still funny? With all of its humor, escape the modern scrutiny of Twitter's cultural taste police. All that good stuff. We also talk a little bit about our own experiences in the public school system of the United States and how we found points of comparison in this episode. Flynn has a very particular and personal perspective, which I'm sure you will find interesting. And we talk about a couple of other things that don't really have anything to do with The Simpsons, but might be of cultural interest. In short, it's a spirited, fast-paced discussion that will hopefully provide just under an hour of entertainment for your morning commute, or gym session, or daily bowel movement, however it is that you choose to enjoy your podcasts. Here we go. Hey, so how you doing today, Mike? Good, how you doing, man? Here we are talking about Bart the Genius. First episode that is in its normal Sunday time slot. Yes, it was the first episode that aired on January 14th, 1990, and I didn't actually see this episode when it first aired. For whatever reason, maybe I couldn't tell you why, but I didn't. I was looking forward to the, the show. I was looking forward to right. it coming, coming out. Were you a fan of the shorts on the Tracy Ullman show? Okay, so it's not so much that I was like a fan of uh, the shorts, but I was aware of them, and I liked them. Okay. I didn't watch Tracy Ullman regularly, but whenever I did, the highlight for me was always the Simpsons shorts, so I was aware of them. One thing that I had seen prior to uh, the Christmas special and the, the show is the short, The Family Portrait. What I'm trying to figure out, because I'm trying to remember where I saw that first. Pretty sure I saw it, like it was on a VHS, it was on a movie. It was on the VHS for Working Girl. Okay, I'm like 12 years old. I'm pretty sure the only reason I would have wanted to see Working Girl was because of um, Harrison Ford. So there I am watching Working Girl, and um, you know I get to see, I, I get to see uh, the Simpsons short. I get to see Harrison Ford, and I get to see Alec Baldwin's ass. Well, thank you for settling that one, Flynn. <laughs> The point is, I was familiar with them, but it's not like I was like a fan. But I was, I did enjoy, whenever I saw a Simpsons short, whenever I turn on Tracy Ullman, my favorite part of the Tracy Ullman show were the Simpsons shorts. Obviously, when I heard that the Christmas special was coming out, I was anticipating it. I did not, I'm pretty sure that when I watched the Christmas special, 
I was aware it was going to air. They advertised it. I knew it was coming. And I, and I sat down to watch it whenever it, the night that that aired. But I did not know at that moment that there was actually going to be a regular series. Yeah, because I don't think they advertised the series as that, because it is set up as the Simpsons Christmas special. You see the title card at the beginning. In fact, right. I have the original airing of it mm-hmm. uh, that's digitized on a file, and <laughs> it was not promoted as a TV show. It wasn't it, It's almost like that's a separate piece. But right. now in canon, we talk about that being the first episode, and Here's the part that's weird for me. In this day and age, this is unheard of. The fact that here's a regular series that's going to be airing. And right. it gets, it, I guess it gets very little promotion. And yet, so there's a Christmas special and the actual series begins airing a month later. It, it's not like it aired months later. It's not like it aired in the next season. No, it was like, I mean, the show was already in the can. It, it wouldn't have happened that way. It wouldn't happen that way today. We, so it is strange to me like, I think I became aware that there was going to be a series that night. They advertised the series that night. I believe they do advertise the series as, like, coming January 14th, but it's not a big thing because it came on before the uh, Married with Children episode with Sam Kennison, where it's a, it's a wonderful life parody, mm-hmm. and they were really hyping that up because of Kennison. They initially wanted to debut the, the show in the fall season. Of, 80, of 89. They were going to debut it in the fall season and it was going to debut with some other episode. And the, They weren't sure it was going to take off in the fall. Especially when you consider the time that Fox was still seen as an outsider. They weren't blowing up. His Simpsons grin is going to be what's going to make them a titan in the 90s. But at the same time, you're barely scraping by and their, their biggest thing is married with children. Right. They did not, you know, the show with George C. Scott as the president was not successful. And whatever that show was with Matthew Perry or, or Matt LeBlanc or whatever wasn't successful. They had 21 Jump Street. That was a big thing. And they also weren't broadcasting seven nights a week. They had cops on they had Saturday and Sunday. Saturday you would get cops, and that was starting at the beginning of 89. And Sundays was when Married with Children on all those shows aired. And it's worth noting that around this time, around January 90, is when In Living Color comes out, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like the, the dynamic duo of that is what launches Fox into being a pop culture thing. Right, well, I mean, I, I think, um, I'm, I'm not sure about this, but I'm pretty sure that it was, Sundays was Simpsons followed by In Living Color. Of course, I watched, that was my TV time. I would be watching both shows. But here's the thing. You and I, were from the from the New York tri-state area, the New York, yes. Jersey area. So you, at that time, in, in, in 1990, in January of 1990, here's what I'm trying to figure out. So it's Channel 5. Fox is Channel 5 in New York, in the New York, New Jersey area. But what I'm trying to remember is, in, in 1990, was it already... Fox, or was it still WNYW? It was both. Okay, so the history of Channel 5, quote-unquote, because, you know, I hate when people say in this area, oh, I'm going to flip on Channel 7 and it's ABC, or, 
Oh, I'm going to put on Channel 4 It's NBC. I hate that shit. I hate that shit so much and you don't even know. So wait, 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 come on. You're from Jersey? You're, you're from Jersey and you can't just say Channel 9? No, I can't say Channel 9. I can't. I can't, man. I'll always say like Channel 11 and even though that's WPIX. Oh, I will say Channel 11 because they are Channel 11, but the CW is what it is now. There's no real Channel 11 anymore. Yeah, WPIX okay. no longer exists, right? Yeah. WPIX is just the call number. Okay, so the history of Channel 5 is, I believe they were G-Moms back in the 40s and early 50s. And when that went under, they became an independent station owned by Metro Media for about 30 years. And then Fox decides to get into the uncharted territory of being the fourth network, which is what we were all warned about in the movie network. And it was always like, oh, is this ever going to happen? It's going to fail. It's the big three. And Rupert Murdoch purchased Metro Media, I want to say in 84, 85. And in 86, what had been known as WNEW becomes WNYW. And they are a Fox channel starting in the fall of 86. And what you have to understand is that Fox in 86 only had one show. That was a one show, and it was The Late Show, the show that Joan Rivers had a falling out with Johnny Carson over. They did not have primetime programming until the spring of 87, and when they launched, it was 21 Jump Street, Married with Children, and I think it was Duet was the name of the show that they had after Married with Children, but those were the shows they launched with. And I think that's April 5th, 1987. And then, and then, of course, Werewolf. For two hours on Saturday night, you will believe. You will believe. And if you spot a werewolf, call the 1-800 number. That was, was that also 87? That was 87, right? That appeared in 87, and I believe that went two seasons. And you still cannot get that on DVD today. Why? Because Shout Factory could not wipe out uh, silent running on dangerous ground needle drop in the club scene. They couldn't get the rights to it. It was too expensive because the pilot of that show has that song and um, the future so bright. I gotta wear shades. I remember silent running. That's still ingrained in my memory. I watched Werewolf. I watched the pilot episode of Werewolf when it aired. That disco scene with like with, with Mike and the mechanics, and then he looks at his hand, and like the pentagram starts flaming and bleeding. And like, so I always associate Silent Running with that. I don't associate it with, with anything else. I, I associate it with Werewolf, with the disco scene in Werewolf. So what angers you more, the idea of that episode of Werewolf not having Silent Running, or when they took Georgia on my mind out of that one episode of Quantum Leap on the DVDs? No, absolutely, um, absolutely the Werewolf thing, because Although I'm a huge fan of Quantum Leap, uh, I mean I think they put back Georgia on my mind into like the Blu-rays of Quantum Leap. But I have, but I I have the DVD that doesn't have Georgia on my mind. And yeah, it's this cheesy instrumental piece that's horrendous. Right. But I don't really care. Whereas Werewolf, you got to have that scene. They have they have to put down the real money to make sure that we have Silent Running on the pilot episode of Werewolf. They've got to do that. They've just got to you know. I think, I think we're the world's biggest werewolf fan. I think I'm the world's only werewolf fan. Back to The Simpsons. So basically, so this airs on January 14th, 1990. I'm assuming you didn't see it at that time. When's the first time you watched this episode? 
you remember? Um, I believe the first time I watched this episode was I. I think I just said this. I have a digitized original airing of this with commercials because, of course, I do. And I watched it late one night before I went to bed because I have this tradition of when, before I go to bed, I have a hard drive that has all these digitized tapes, and I watch something from it. Have TV airings, it can be primetime stuff airings, or say morning cartoons, whatever it is. And I had a half hour before the Andean kicked in, and uh, I watched Bark the Genius. Did you like it when you watched it? Well, first of all, you can clearly notice that classy Supo sheen in the animation, and you can clearly notice that the voice acting is pretty rough, but. It's an important episode because you meet a lot of characters that are critical to the narrative of the show. Um, number one, Millhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number two, this is Krabappel. But they also introduce Principal Skinner, who in later years of my life has become one of my favorite characters because he's kind of the antidote to the authority figures I had to deal with in school. Skinner is all talk and no action. And that makes him hilarious. We are watching this episode and seeing Skinner be more of a disciplinarian and he's going after Bart for the graffiti on the side of the school. And Milhouse isn't really like a close friend. He's kind of like he'll he'll stand you in the back if you do the wrong thing. And then you have Martin is played up as the smart kid in the class, and they dialed him back later in the show, but you get him true to form in this episode. Right. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, the the animation's still rough. Uh, The voice acting, I wouldn't say that the voice acting's bad. I think it's, the acting in and of itself is fine, but you still have that situation where Dan Castellaneta is doing like a Walter Matthau impersonation. That's exactly not that I don't like the performances and I don't like the characters. It's just, right. it's not the voices you're used to yet. Right, and exactly. It's a little jarring. It's also that, like, especially when you watch the first season episodes and you watch the, like, the second season, it's not till I think the third season where the writers realize that you're doing a glorified kids show by focusing on Bart. And obviously, Bart is the pop culture icon, and he's who's getting kids to watch the show. And suddenly, the president and the first lady are complaining about The Simpsons, which, when George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush were complaining about The Simpsons, this is something that happened. You could read into it. They thought it was some scatological piece of shit. Uh, it was a big deal. It's true. Uh, when, when this aired, it's a couple of things. This initially aired, obviously The Simpsons was considered a more edgy show. It's the first episode that airs, and even though it was not the first episode produced, I'm pretty sure that it was a deliberate choice to air this first because it's so Bart-centric. And it's like, they because they knew that Bart was their potential breakout character, and they said, we gotta lead with this. The way the episode's structured is such where... You get to see Bart go crazier and crazier and crazier with the story structure because it's, they're playing Scrabble at the beginning, and you know Maggie's playing with blocks and they're talking, and 
Homer has the word oxidize spelled out on his placard. And if you played Scrabble before, and you're in an early game of Scrabble, oxidize is going to get you a lot of fucking points. Because you've got the only X and the only Z in the game, and if God forbid you can do it with that triple or double word thing, you are ahead, you are, you're, you win. And Bart is not really buying into the game, and he makes up a word, which is... Quizibo. K-W-Y-J-I-B-O. 22 points, plus triple word score, plus 50 points using all my letters. Game's over, I'm out of here. Wait a minute, you little cheater. You're not going anywhere until you tell me what a quidgybo is. Quidgybo. Uh, a big, dumb, balding North American ape with no chin. And a short temper. I'll show you a big, dumb, balding ape. Uh-oh, quidgybo on the loose. yourself another Saturday, mister. Oh, crushed. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm gonna have to check my calendar. Good! Because it's gonna be filled. So what, what's basically our opinion of uh, Bart the Genius? It's a simple story. We'll just recap it very quickly. It's uh, it, Bart cheats on an IQ test, basically. He switches it with Martin's test, and, yeah. and he ends up getting sent to a school for gifted children, or whatever. Yeah. That's the basic plot, and then, of course, this brings, you know, uh, brings him closer to his, to, to Homer and whatever, but the, that's basically the plot. And in the end, you know, um, he gets found out and it's over. But, uh, basically the, the idea behind this one is that Bart cheats on an IQ test and gets sent to a school for, for geniuses and whatever. So what, 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 what is your opinion of it? You watched it again recently. What do you think? Do you think it holds up? Do you think it's funny? I think it's a funny episode and I like how the, uh, how because he enters the, the gifted children's school that suddenly Bart has to become civilized. It's like fucking Encino Man or something. So uh, they they go out to uh, they go to the opera because you know suddenly, like I said, suddenly he can't watch Itchy and Scratchy. He's got to be smart. And then it gets to the point where he causes that explosion in the chemistry lab. And... But you do know what happens when you mix acids and bases, right? Of course I do. Sorry. Basically a good episode. I agree. I think, uh, I think it's a fun episode. I think it's funny. It's got, it's, it has a good balance of humor and sentiment. It cuts off just before getting too schmaltzy. You know what I mean? It's a good balance because it, it has the kind of heartstrings thing, but then at the end, just when it's getting there, they know to to end it on that button of yeah, don't worry, we're not going to get that that syrupy. You know, we're this is going to end on a gag. Don't worry. And so that's pretty cool. Um, there's some some interesting things that I was uh, 
that, that I wanted to point out. First of all, so he gets sent to a school for gifted children. There's this one moment where he's like looking through the library or whatever, through the bookcase, and he finds a comic, a Radioactive Man comic book. A comic book? How did this get mixed in here? We used it last week as a prop in a film we made about illiteracy. It, it just reminds you that back then, geek culture wasn't exactly celebrated. Oh, God, no. The no, idea no. of comic books, you know, uh, being seen as, as something other than just trash. But it's weird to me because, the, like, I guess I think the writers of the show were very clearly wanting to position this school as a bunch of snobs. What better way to do that than to like have them scoff at comic books, which all these writers grew up reading. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So, okay. And the, and the other thing I wanted to point out, and one thing that I'm going to want to be doing as I go through these episodes, like to try to look at some things that maybe people would get hung up on today that they didn't get hung up on 30 years ago. And, and for this particular one, the one that stood out at me, like, I don't have a problem with it, but uh, I, I thought it was funny. But I, I think the joke that people would get hung up on today is uh, when they're at the opera and, you know, uh, I, I believe that somebody would call this episode out for its fat shaming. It ain't over till the fat lady sings. Is that one fat enough for you, son? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go get a burger. So it would be called out for its fat shaming. Do you think that's a stretch? Do you think that people wouldn't care about that today? whole it, there would be like a a 2500 word think piece on yes. the opera singer joke on last night's extremely offensive episode of the simpsons that fucking christ the internet was just some kind of So the thing about this episode, which uh, which I think is is unusual, and by the time this aired, I guess yeah, I would have I would have I would have already gone through something similar, so I could relate to it on some level. But um, essentially, so I went to public school. I never went to private school. And the 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 implication, I mean, they don't go into it. I'm not sure if the implication is that this is a private school that you need a scholarship for, or if it's just in the public school system, or how this works. But uh, I've always assumed that that Bart and Lisa, I've always assumed that it's Springfield Elementary School is a public school. I've always assumed yeah, that. Yes. Yeah, it's a public school. So I mean, they, they don't actually talk about it, but of course it's a public school. Now, they don't really go into too much detail about this, this other school that Bart ends up going to. Now, when I was a kid, uh, when I was in elementary school, they did something similar, where they, they had they had a bunch of us take tests. I guess they looked at our, our yeah. general grades and whatever they saw, how we were doing, whatever, and they had us take tests. And, and the point is, you know, I and a few others uh, scored pretty highly. And because we scored pretty highly, uh, we were then uh, taken to, we were given the opportunity to transfer to a different school, to a school yeah. that might be 
better for us. And so I ended up transferring to a school, to another public school that was outside of my, of my district, but because I had passed this test and gotten the approval. So I ended up going, and it's, uh, it was a public school, it was PS3, it's like right in the yeah. village in New York, uh, downtown New York, PS3. And it was great. You know, I, I, I finished off my elementary school years there. Last two years of elementary were there, fifth and sixth grade. And it was kind of like, it, I mean, it wasn't like what you see here, but it was, uh, there was more free form. Classrooms were not traditional. We, we called the teacher by, our, by her first name. You know, we, we didn't have to call them Mrs. whatever. And there was like, uh, and we called like the, the principal of the school by his first name. It wasn't a traditional classroom. It was like, it had different sectors and it had like couches and bean bags. And th there was like a bookcase right there. And I mean, it, it was nice. It, I mean, it was, I mean, I, I, it was, it was to the point where, so I was in sixth grade and in sixth grade, they had us read Flowers for Algernon. They had us read Macbeth. We watched, we, we watched the Polanski Macbeth. They had us read Of Mice and Men, and we watched um, uh, the, the Randy Quaid, Robert Blake version. And so when I got to junior high, that was the weird thing. I, got, I went to like a pretty like standard junior high, and I don't think I, yeah, I think in eighth grade, in eighth grade, they had us read Of Mice and Men, just to show how advanced the school was in comparison with other elementary schools, that there was a right. little more. So that was kind of cool, and yet not quite as spectacular as what is shown in this, right? So I, I don't know to what degree any of this is true. You know what I mean? Because this is 1990, and what I'm talking about, like, I just... I was finishing, I had entered into a junior high. I entered into junior high the fall of 89, right? So I was already in seventh grade by the time this aired, but I had experienced PS3. But even compared to PS3, this school in The Simpsons is like, what the, what is this? Computers on every desk? And, and even the concept of, um, in science class, they, they're gonna dissect animals. And I don't, I mean, I never, like, not, not at any point in, in, my, in my school education did I ever have to do that. I had to dissect a frog in high school. And for all of the sins I have committed, for all of the meat I have eaten in my life, and I will certainly probably be eating some kind of animal protein later today, whether it is a fish or fowl or barnyard animal, scarred me for life. I, that is the kind of compassion of animals I have. When an animal dies in a movie, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. And I'm sure that someone will come after me and say that he eats meat all the time and he freaks out about dissecting a frog. Well, here's my thing. I could never do it. I know a guy who works as a butcher. I could never do that. You know, there's someone that we know that wrote something like 1,500 words about how they cried for over killing a cockroach. <laughs> I don't have that kind of degree of compassion for animals, but I'm not somebody who could do the deed. Let the river Let all the... So you have Asperger's. Yes, and Asperger's. 
Asperger's syndrome, as you may know, is a form of autism mm-hmm. that is high functioning, and you have usually one subject that you are very passionate about, and you don't shut the fuck up about it. And my subject, of course, is movies, mm-hmm. although and pop culture in general. And the 1980s. Well, yes, as my friends call it, the Flynn era. Roughly, it is the point of time between the uh, Vietnam War escalation in 1967 and the fall of the Twin Towers on September 11, 2001. That is the point where pop culture starts sucking for me. Anyway, uh, I find a kinship with that. And, and even though I'm a millennial, I consider myself more of a Gen Xer. And my experience, so I'm going to get a little touchy in terms of things. Uh, sure. So I exhibited a lot of things where I was held back, quote-unquote, and I wasn't very good at my motor skills. I wasn't up to par with peers as a toddler. Um, I'm also hyperlexic. Hyperlexia is when you are able to read before you can speak. I learned to read before I could speak, and and there were a lot of tests done, and I have a lot of unpleasant memories of the, t- the things that I went through, and I, I can't tell you what they are just because I blocked a lot of this out. But February 1st, 1992, I was diagnosed at a center in New York City by a woman named Dr. Isabel Rathbun with something called Asperger's Syndrome, and my parents, my father was still alive at the time, I'm like, what's that? And they said, your son's autistic. And I would say that it wasn't until, like, over time I'd become less, quote-unquote, autistic and more just different. But at that time, there was no internet. And my mom had to mail-order books and do heavy research and consult with therapists and all that to get the right cognitive behavioral therapy in order for me to normalize again into the mainstream. Um, I remember at the time that even, I had full days of school, unlike a lot of my peers. I would be in special ed class for the morning, and then during the afternoon, I would be with uh, a regular class where everybody would have a half day. And that was how my day was structured. I had a lot of special ed, and I had a personal aid, which was unheard of at the time. Um, I had, you know, I had what was called an IEP, an Individual Educational Program, which means there's a certain contract of things that someone in the mainstream might not be able to cope with. Now, in terms of the gifted uh, school, there were gifted and talented programs in the 90s, and I do remember having something called TAC, Talented and Gifted. Mm-hmm. So that was a more freeform thing, but never did I have an experience like yours where I could call teachers by their first name or principals or administrators by their first name. It was never like that. Uh, another memory I have that's kind of similar to this episode is in seventh grade, I was stressing out, and the subject uh, was very coincidentally genetics. And there was a very smart guy in the school that I sat next to, 
and I was kind of like looking over and I was trying to eye the teacher and she caught me and that was my goose was cooked and it was because I was felt so unprepared for that kind of knowledge mm. and I was in the mainstream I should also add that up until 7th grade I was in special ed for literature and language arts but it wasn't until junior year of high school that I was able to get a really good handle on being a critic for lack of a better word and analyzing things my critical thinking skills weren't honed in until high school but the thing is not one person on the autistic spectrum is like the other the saying is if you've met one person with autism you've met one person with autism that's, that's exactly the same that my mom always says that's yeah. exactly it man so I was watching this episode was that could have been me. I think the, the real life equivalent of finding a radioactive man comic is you find a copy of The Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen. I sold myself a lot in this. That could have been me. For a time, you were in what is known as special ed or now they call it special needs education, I believe, or whatever. And then eventually, you were when you say you were mainstreamed, you mean that you were into a regular classroom. Now, being in the, in the let's say, in the general population, because I can't think of yeah. any other way to say it, at that point, and you said you have your, your aide, right? Yes. Your aide would be yeah. with you in the classroom at all times. Most of the time, yes. And then he or she was out, there would usually be a substitute. It okay. eventually got to the point in high school where if the guy was out, I was on my own. Also, because I was bullied severely in high school, so I needed an advocate. I needed somebody to hold me back. Now, here's my next question. So, and was the teacher in the classroom expected to give you special treatment? Are you talking about in, like, a regular class or... In a regular uh, class. In a regular okay. class. Okay, so this is how it worked out. Yes, they, were, they had to follow my IEP. Okay. They knew they had to be briefed getting a special ed student, this guy has Asperger's, these are his weaknesses, these are his strengths, and we would appreciate it if you were able to help him out on this, mm -hmm. and if you can make his life easier by any means possible, we would greatly appreciate it. And to be honest with you, more times than others, unfortunately, there were people that the people failed to do it. I have a little bit of experience, because I was a school teacher very briefly. And so I was exposed to this. This is my experience of it. So you're in the classroom and you have the aide who's supposed to kind of help you through it. Or, you, or, or the teacher occasionally has to like, you know, follow your, what was it? IEP? IEP. Right, IEP. And that's done. How did you feel about that? About the IEP? About the whole, the, the whole experience. Like the, the, when, you know, you're in the classroom with the quote unquote general population. Um, and there, and so the aide is sitting there with you or whatever, and, or the teacher, like in a way it's like, you know, they are giving you special attention at one yes. time or another. And how, and how did that make, do you remember having any feeling about that one way or the other or? Um, I think it stigmatized me more when I was older, but it was a safety net when I was in like the first, when I was when I was in middle school and elementary school, mm -hmm. it was the best it could possibly be. Okay. 
Okay. Because it's not stigmatizing. And it's, and when I was K to four, I had friends who were understanding and caring of me to know that. Okay. Because for me, it was new. I wasn't aware of it. And, I, and, I, and I'll tell you how it, how it ran here. And the way it worked here was there would be a school, well, there's more than one, but there'd be like a counselor, like a general counselor. And she would have the list of the special needs students because it'd be more than one, you know, in the class. Yeah, that's, that sounds accurate. Right. So she'd come up to me and be like, you know, okay, so the, you know, this is the list. Right. And I was simply given a few indications. I wasn't given anything specific. I, I wasn't told. I, I was simply... Uh, I was always instructed to just give the class normally, okay? Because because yeah. because they're going to, they have their hours where they go to the counselor and they do all that stuff. So you just give your class normally. It was a thing where you know. So so I'm there giving the class. Where where they told me to have special attention was during tests. Interesting. Uh, I I was yeah. It was like so it would be like okay so for tests. I had to like highlight questions. I had to like, uh, you know, I had to give them specially prepared tests and I had to like check on them. Like a as they were doing their tests, I had to go and kind of help them out. Right. Okay. That just them, not all the students, obviously just the, the special needs students. Let's say it's whatever it was, three or four of them in the classroom. Yeah. And, and I had to like, now, Generally, and this was, this is fifth grade elementary. Okay. So they're kids. And I followed my, you know, this is my job. So I did what I was, what I was supposed to do. But I personally uh, wondered the non-special needs kids, aren't yeah. they going to feel a bit like, Hey, how come they're getting help with their fucking test? You know? And here I am like, I can't figure this out. I mean, this was my mentality. You know, I was going like, I mean, I tried to put myself in the kid's position where I was like, I'm sitting in the classroom and all of a sudden there's like these three kids who are getting help with their test. I came to understand, I came to see that the other kids were actually really good about it. Like in the beginning, I, I was concerned that they would be upset, but then I saw that the other kids, would, they wouldn't pick on the special needs kids. They would be very understanding. They would be like, yeah, well, you know, he, that that student has special needs. Uh, so and so has special needs, and that's why they need to do that, and that's all cool, you know. All right, well, it's time to wrap this up. So let's uh, let's bring it back to the Simpsons. Okay, so final thoughts uh, on this episode. episode i think it like i said it highlights bart as the breakout character and he's the cool guy um you get a little bit of homer wanting to choke his son oh by the way you know talking about things that would fly today i love you dad why you little uh -oh. yes uh it's it plays around yeah, with domestic gonna, abuse yes that's going that's going to be a recurring in this podcast, I believe. Yes. Uh, but I think it's a good way to start the show because it's pretty much Bart front and center and you knew that Fox and the creators wanted that in the beginning. 
for the audiences, but then, as you're going to see, the tides turn. But at, for a first episode this early on, it's good. I agree. It's got some great stuff. It's got, um, it again, animation's still rough at this point, whatever you want to yeah. say, but even with the rough animation, they still put some nice little flourishes in there. The whole sequence uh, in the test, you know, where, where Bart's taking the test and he's yeah. like visualizing the math problem. And like, right. that is some great, very like creative, surreal stuff. Like, it, it just looks really nice. You can almost imagine that they're kind of like in the writing room and Rain Man's just came out and gotten into pop culture vernacular and they're making fun of that. And it's, you know, and that's something that they kind of do in a beautiful mind when he's having his moment with all the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, they eventually... So that there's stuff in there where you go, like, this has flourish. I think another thing that it's worthwhile calling this a noteworthy episode is how many firsts it has. It's like, it shows the format. You've got the opening. You've got Skitter and Krabappel and... Uh, you've got your first uh, appearance of Millhouse, like all of these people that show up for the first time. It's really startling to see all of that. Yeah. And the first time he says, "Eat my shorts," like this, this is a a primer episode in a way. Well, it's a template in a sense that yeah. that they've followed, where because one thing about the formula of a Simpsons episode, and you see it here, is where their storytelling is more intricate than your average sitcom. So it starts with, you know, it it starts with kind of a setup where the story is going in one direction and then all of a sudden it goes into something else. Right. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not like up front, you know what it's going to be. No, it, it has this, it opens with this one scene where they're playing Scrabble and then right. a little, it, it kind of builds. It has a different way to tell the story. It's sort of the first act is one thing and then it goes into a different thing. And so, you know, they've pretty much maintained the template that you see in this episode. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's fairly decent. I'm going to want to bring you back uh, at the end of the season, at the end yeah. of the season, so we can actually, um, we'll, we'll do the last episode. We'll do episode 13, I guess it is, the, the Some Enchanted Evening episode. And so it'll be cool to bring you back, and, and what we'll do yeah. at that point is we'll reflect on the whole first season. So, yeah. it, oh, yeah. you know, it, it'll be interesting to sort of see where the show was in that first year as opposed to yeah. where it where it went eventually but oh, i want to yeah. thank you i, I want to thank you for for your time i um i had a blast oh yeah. my god yeah it was really really nice talking yeah. about this yeah. this is a one to uh discuss yeah and thanks for sharing all that stuff i mean it's a uh, very uh, compelling and gave gave some insight into the way things work so that's it for this week's episode of the simpsons countdown hope you enjoyed that discussion and if you did, please do give us a like. Go ahead and subscribe. Leave us a positive comment or two and share with all of your friends, both real and virtual, on social media. I'm Eric Santuan, and I'll see you here next week where I'll be joined by another good friend of mine. And we'll discuss the episode, Homer's Odyssey. See you guys next time. <laughs>